Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that hasn't had any speculative interest from Formula One Renault. <laughs> <That> was <funny. laughs> worth worth waiting for, worth waiting for. Uh, I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my faithful co-host Sean Gray. Hey. And <laughs> <laughs> excited as ever to be bringing you the latest and greatest in Formula One. Uh, covering the race that was the Belgian Grand Prix 2015. Um, sadly, not the greatest Belgian Grand Prix we've ever had witness to, but uh, it was all right, I guess. It was all right, I guess. I think that's <laughs> that's probably the Formula One tagline, isn't it? F1, it's all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Better than a kick in the knackers. Um, well... Uh, Qualifying, there's not much to really talk about there, I guess, other than the start pace of the Lotus and Mercedes. Um, the Lotus, sorry, and Force India, I should say. The two Mercedes-powered cars is what I meant to say. Uh, sort of getting in fourth and fifth out of position, you'd probably say, for the season, generally. Yeah. But, and Lewis was a cut above, wasn't he, really? Like, Rosberg never really got, got close, but... Good, good few tenths, I think, behind. So, yeah. yeah, it was five tenths in the, yeah, think, in the final reckoning. Five tenths is even bigger than normal. So, <laughs> um, this was dialed in very much to the looks of things. I guess qualifying was only um, noteworthy for the fact that the McLarens received, in total between them, 105 uh, good place penalties. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is my favourite thing penalties in. Formula One penalties in 2015 is just, it's phenomenal. It, it's, it's too good. At least um, at least this time that they only had to start from the back of the grid. Um, and even that ended up not um, uh, being clouded in controversy because obviously they changed the, the rules were there to stop people throwing engines into the car willy-nilly. Um, so that there was a penalty if you, you know, um, just decided you were going to chuck a whole new engine in and take the pain. Um, so they then changed the rules to say no well the furthest you can go back is the back of the grid so McLaren promptly then ran two engines two whole complete engines in both cars across the weekend Um, so therefore taking all of these places but they could only go back as far as well two places back from really where they qualified Um, and that got some people in the FIA all that is a a bit of a farce but but that's like what what do you expect do you yeah, expect I... that teams will honor the spirit of the laws as they were intended or will they um you know in fact <laughs> mm. um take the mick and try and get as much of them they can and at the end of the day what it's really brought back to me is that um the cost saving isn't doing anything is it really because as soon as you give the the big teams with money the chance to spend it they will yeah, it doesn't save money for the little teams, um, you know. And some people will say, "Oh well," but the little teams, you know, then have to run their engines for five races. Well, then that's what they have to do, isn't it? Really, um, if they have to make their engines last longer because they can't afford more, that sucks. 
but you know that's the, like that, that's like i don't know a team in the relegation zone moaning oh well, we can't it's not fair that we have to play against you know sergio aguero well because <laughs> you can't afford them well yeah you can't afford them that's just the way it is like but if you do you know what i mean but if you invest wisely in what you can afford do you know what I mean? You can pull off surprises, can't you? Yeah. At the end of the day, you know. And you um, might slowly climb the table, and in ten years' time, you will be able to afford the better <laughs> players or something. I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, like, but all I know is what we have here with McLaren. Yeah, it's a bit of a farce, you know. They've only gone back two places, but take a hundred place good penalty. <laughs> but equally, before end of season, where they had recurring penalties for about four races in a row, Jensen Button was just constantly under a penalty for like three races was equally ridiculous so there isn't really a a catch-all system here uh, no i think I think, I'd, ha- I think i'd rather what we cut what we had this weekend with them saying okay we're back in the good we might as well just chuck a whole new kit in it because if you're in that position generally you're in that position because you're doing a bit crap anyway so yeah let I- them let them chuck a new engine on it and at least it might help them improve the car or something you know and i think the thing is is here is that who else was going to do that? Do you know what I mean? The Ferrari wasn't going to do that. The Williams weren't going to do that. And, uh, you know, even the Force India uh, and Lotus and Rebels weren't going to do that. And I'm I'm sure they'd have quite happily, you know, swapped new engines in as much as they want, other than the actual Mercedes team, who, <laughs> whose engines are bulletproof. Um, so it, it, it's... what The token system works to reduce cost. And I understand that because R&D is expensive. And if you try and say that there is limited R&D, then there you go. That saves that saves money for the small teams. They have a chance of doing their research and design within that budget. Um, and hopefully the other teams don't aren't able to develop, you know, into the sunset, so to speak. But if it's the cost of buying parts, you know, to make your car run, well, if you can afford it, then you should be able to buy the parts that you want to your car. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It would be yeah. as stupid as limiting all the teams to one nose for a car per weekend. Yeah, if you tag your nose off, that's you, you know. It's, it's silly. I've always hated the engine, or only five engines or six engines or however many as a season. I've always hated that because all it does is when they blow up engines, they still put a brand new engine on it. Like It's not like... Yeah, they're not going know? to go, it's oh, not well, like, it's let's not, not like, go racing this weekend. Yeah, exactly. So just, yeah, I don't like it. Because I'd, I'd much rather see the relaxed engine rules like that and, and have the engines turned up to full wick mm-hmm. uh, all season. It would provide better racing if everybody was racing with their engines up to the maximum capability. So I'd, I'd much prefer that than people you know, running around on eggshells terrified of blowing, a, blowing an engine. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. So on to the race proper. Um, in our usual style, we'll work from first place backwards. Uh, Lewis Hamilton... Um, to be fair, I think that was probably his best race this season. Yeah. Um, maybe even his best race for the last couple of years. I, it's difficult to remember a time when really he was just... None of his radio messages sounded the least bit like he was phased, other than the, the one about um, Nico catching him up under the safety car. And even then, um, it didn't, you know, he didn't sound panicked like he has done sometimes when he was like when in the last race, when he was accusing Nico of r- running him off the road and stuff. Yeah. And this time it was just like, you know, 
Yeah. Pretty sure Lewis. Uh, I'm pretty sure Nico's caught up with me under the virtual safety car. Do you know what I mean? It was a kind of questioning. It's just like, yeah, is this the case? I'm pretty sure it is. It, but he didn't seem phased by the fact that it had kind of happened. Um, <laughs> and he immediately then proceeded to <laughs> go back to being three seconds in front anyway on the next lap. So uh, as much as it meant any difference to Nico, uh, Nico's race like, didn't make anything to Lewis. Um, and that's th- those are the races that I'm impressed with Lewis Hamilton as a driver, is the ones where he just... Um, never looks ragged at all, but is mm-hmm. still being blistering. It's what uh, Sebastian Vettel was made an art of, isn't it? When he was in the Red Bull, just mm-hmm. going, went putting it on pole and just controlling the race from the front and getting the gap that he needed and never remotely looking like it was ever going to be anything else, which is exactly what Lewis did here. You know, it was the complete polar opposite of the Hungarian race that he had. This race, he just he <laughs> did exactly what he needed to do in qualifying, and then he drove away at the start, and that was it. And even though the winning time was only a couple of seconds, whatever it was, towards the end, but you always kind of got the feeling that... He could, yeah, if he needed to. If he needed to. He was, Nico was always going to be second in this race. If Nico pushed, turned up the engine and pushed, Lewis would be able to respond, and Nico wouldn't have anything anything to, to, to say to that, I think. Uh, like you say, these are the ones that are almost more impressive but don't necessarily give us the greatest race in the world which is a shame but. no and that's that's the downside of it um and i think the interesting thing was if we move over to on to nico actually in his race um his terrible start almost did him a favor almost um because by going down to fourth um but not being that much further behind where he would have been on track uh forced mercedes to give him the first pit stop so that he um, got out in front of um, I can't remember who was in front of him by that point um, was it one of the Ferraris and I can't remember one of the okay. Lotus. no it was the uh, they got him out in front of Perez didn't they oh yeah Perez, had, they? A, Perez had a great start Perez was up until like second or something off the start so but Nick was in fourth I'm trying to remember who was in third now Danny Rick Danny Ricardo uh, okay, uh, yeah. so they pitted him early to get in front of those two um, yeah. which gave him the undercut on Lewis. So Lewis had to come in afterwards. Um, and I think it might have only been a lap, but he went from being like 11 seconds behind to being like five seconds behind. Which obviously makes a difference, you know. Well, and it makes a big difference. <laughs> and that was, I, I tweeted um, Crofty with the old hashtag Ask Crofty and said, is the worst thing in F1 that Mercedes won't use pit stop strategy um, against uh, for for either side of the garage against each other, either side of the garage, I should say. Um, and they rather pointlessly reply back, "Well, Nico got the first pit stop today," and it was that like, "Yes, that's the point, Crofty. <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to make. When you give him the undercut, he comes back at Lewis and has a chance of racing him. Wouldn't it be good if every race the Mercedes didn't play the Mercedes game? You know, Lewis's side of the garage strategy." strategized Lewis's race and Nico Nico sort of the garage strategized Nico's race and you know they really fought in every way possible not just oh they happen to be close on track now they can fight give them equal opportunity to you know use the tire strategy to close gaps um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and then we'll actually see them race on track more and then the front two won't just be this horrible procession that we tend to get 
where whoever is in first tends to stay in first and whoever is in second, um, you know, gets the chicken there's wings. N- there's nothing they can do if there's a second because they've got the same lap on this. They've got the same ca- pace in the car. The car's exactly the same with a, with a, a lap later pit stop. There's just never going to be able to, to make up that gap, no matter who is in the car. Doesn't matter if Lewis is in front of Nico, doesn't matter if Nico's in front of Lewis, doesn't matter if it's Lewis in front of another driver from another team, if they put him in that car, the result would be the same. Car A is always going to finish ahead of car B in that scenario, like always, unless something silly happens mechanically. Or the pit stop goes wrong. That's yeah, the only, yeah. that's the only time it changes. Unless, you know, barring something stupid, like all things being equal. Because <laughs> because they are equal. So <laughs> A is going to finish ahead of B. Like, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And the point that you're making is that it is probably, we can live with the Mercedes dominance over the other teams to an extent. It's, it's, it's when the, the inter-team battle goes this way, the way that it's gone this weekend and the way it has gone a few times this season. That's when it becomes a bit like, uh, this again, sort of thing. So yeah, I agree with you. It's probably the worst thing about this current Formula One regulation era that we're in. And I think, you know, we can't really blame Mercedes for that. All they're doing is protecting, you know... They're just guaranteed the one-two they, victory. They are, they are maximising their return on the investment. And I, you know, Absolutely. You know, I don't blame them for a second. It just it, it's just is what it is. It's yeah. just crap, isn't it, at the end of the day? Let's not be, you know, it, it's no different than, you know, um, a, a football team investing millions of pounds in the best players and, you know, they're winning the league and you're thinking, well, you know... It's a bit boring watching this same team win all the you know win all the time, but they're only doing what they can to win. And uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you can't be mad about that. You can be mad about your team not doing so well, maybe, um, or, or, or or any other things or how they're playing. But you, you can't blame the other team for wanting to, for doing everything it possibly can. Like like Chelsea, you can't blame Roman Abramovich for spending whatever money he wants on whatever players or Man City or Manchester United. That you know. You would like too, well. if you you know if they were your team, you'd be it's very like happy. one of those teams spending all that money and then being two 0 up, and then just sitting back and not doing anything for the rest of the the game, like scoring two goals in the first twenty minutes and then just passing it about for seventy minutes and keeping possession and not doing anything yeah. and winning their game two 0 So for the first twenty minutes, it's exciting, and then for seventy minutes, you're bored. And that's yep. pretty much what this is. It is. <laughs> that's exactly how this race went. For the first few laps, you go, oh, Nico's down in fifth. Oh, is he going to get back? Oh, he's older. Pitting him early. Is he, how's that going to affect? And as soon as he came back out in second place, with the first round of pit stops over, and Lewis has got the little chunk of time on, you just know, right, well, that's it finished, basically. Yep. And and it was all over by the shouting from that point onwards. Um, So in third place, we had... Uh... I loved it. So yeah, happy. Me too. Me too. Uh, Roman Grosjean in the in the Lotus, first podium since uh, Austin, um, twenty thirteen. Thirteen. Yep. Twenty thirteen. Blimey, uh, time flies, doesn't it? Because that doesn't feel all of that long ago. But um, it was really pleasing to see, and he drove a really, really good race. Um, yeah, I agree. And it it's so funny that um, and they, they, everybody mentioned it on TV and stuff, but I'll mention it again. It's so funny that the scene of his worst performance in a Formula One car in trying to kill Lewis Hamilton and Alonso, 
<laughs> should be almost pretty much the renaissance of people going, oh yeah, actually Roman, Grosj- Roman Grosjean's an alright driver, isn't he? When you give him a car that's he's capable a- of doing it, he's actually, you know. He's a testament to the thing that I've been banging on about for years of giving a young Formula One driver time, <laughs> basically, to get it right. You know, don't just kick him out of the car after 12 races because he hasn't quite, he hasn't turned up on day one and is the second coming of Sebastian Vettel. You need to, you need to give them time to learn racecraft. Anybody can be quick. Anybody can jump in a car in a practice session and do a quick lap time. It's learning how to be a race driver. And too many teams, just Red Bull or, or Toro Rosso, being quite guilty of it, just, you know, pulling the trigger on people after mm. one year. Grosjean's a testament. He's been at that team for a good few years now, and, and look how it's look how it's come on. So, big fan of Roman, and I was delighted, uh, as you were, that he, that he managed to get the podium. And for the team as well, not just him. Because the team, we all know, the troubles the team are going through are well documented as well. Money, financial troubles. So, yeah, if, to, to get that car on, pod, on the on the podium with the budget that they've got, just shows that you know it can be done. Yeah, and it and I think it shows that there are still feel good moments to be had in Formula One. You know, outside of the things that we might moan about, um, good things still happen. You know, up and down the grid, it's still possible to have moments that you can be invested in, regardless of you know who won the race. So it's, that's I was I was really pleased. Um, I was very pleased for the fourth place man, uh, Danny Kvyat. What a stonking race from somebody who probably, until Max Verstappen turned up on the scene, we would have thought was probably a bit young to be uh, (laughs) driving a Formula One car. But um, blimey, did he take those new tyres and make use of them compared to everybody else. He was absolutely um, storming through the field. Uh, And it was probably just as well, really, because... um, from kind of lap 30 onwards, it looked fairly dull. Um, and then in the last sort of three laps of the race, <laughs> we have the young Russian carving his way past um, Ferraris and Williams and Force Indias um, to, to take fourth place. Uh, yeah, it's another one who's, uh, who, 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 you know, might not necessarily have started brilliantly, but needs time and, and hopefully he'll get it at Red Bull. Uh, who's really he's starting? Like that's two or three good results in a row now, uh, for him, uh, and I I think, giving him time, he's another one that could really progress. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he's, it, he's that rough diamond that mm-hmm. I think could you know can be polished into something really good, um, and however Red Bull keep on managing to do it, you know, finding all of these really excellent young drivers and, um, and bringing them through. It's just a shame that there aren't enough teams for them to go on to if Red Bull don't happen to choose them, isn't it? It's a, a real shame that, you know, if they don't happen to be able to move into the big team because both seats are filled with good drivers, they aren't probably going to go anywhere. Um, that's the biggest biggest shame of it all, really. Um, if, if you think about it, if, um, you know, Vettel hadn't moved, he'd have been in the Toro Rosso this season. Yeah, that's true. It's only because um, he moved and they didn't want Jev. Um, and I think that's proving 
well a well-founded choice to be honest you know no offense against John Avern but I think I don't think I can't sit can't have seen him doing what Danny's been doing this season um so it's just really good it, again that's another feel-good moment for F1 I think that you know a young driver comes good is always a, a good story um Sergio Perez his race to come fifth is that a good result or is that, in the end, a slightly disappointing result? I still think it's a good result. Uh, he, um, given, you know, Force India probably aren't developing the car, like, I mean, who's he around? He, he's finished just behind uh, Fiat, ahead of a Williams, a Ferrari, another Williams. Obviously, Vettel had his own issue, but so he would have been behind him, but... Yeah, given the given some of the teams that he's he's in and around there, they've all got a bigger budget, you know, probably developing the car a bit more. I think that's still a good result for Perez. The only reason I say that was obviously it's at one point in the race he was in second and running pretty well in second. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't uh, okay. He wasn't catching Hamilton, but then <laughs> there was only one other car on the grid that was ever likely to do that uh, and it was two cars behind him um so i'm just i was trying to really work out where they lost that podium position really to grosjean and kvyat because kvyat did a slightly different um pistol strategy so i can understand that to some extent but he and grosjean did a very similar race as far as i remember um so again I think, I'm, I think Roman just drove a cracking race so does that mean Sergio drove a fairly average race then really uh, they finished 16 seconds behind him similar engine they got the same engine don't they both have a Mercedes yeah the Lotus maybe have just a better superior package then this weekend uh, I mean, it's difficult to say I would have probably said Yes, in general, anyway. Um, yeah, so... I, I think the the Force India is incredibly situational I mean, when it's good, when the Lotus has been all right at most tracks, I think. Going into the weekend, if you'd said uh, the Lotus is going to be coming into the race about 16 seconds ahead of the Force India, I'd probably say, yeah, that's probably where I expect them to be. So, yeah, I think I think both of... Like, and Grosjean's driven a really good race. And just because Perez is given is sixteen seconds behind, I don't think that's necessarily a bad, a bad result. I think obviously he had such a good start and got it up into second, but that was always just that was never really a true Flattery. reflection of where it should have been. So, okay. yeah, I think yeah, I'm I'm still thinking that's a good result, definitely. Okay, um, definitely not a good result. Um, Felipe Massa in sixth. What what's going on? What's happened? going on with the world? Well, like, solve the problem. <laughs> this was my question. It's like, <laughs> like you're thinking, well, maybe Hungary just wasn't their track, and it wasn't last year particularly. Um, you would have had, but uh, Spa. You would have had the the pace of the straights, the straight line speed for the Williams peg or Spa. Yeah, it it, it really should have been their race, uh, and I think that's the bit that makes it all the more confusing. Um, going into the weekend, you'd have thought, right. You're looking at a one-two for Mercedes, and Williams will be best of the rest. You know yep. that's what you'd say if someone asked you on the Thursday what the result's going to be. That's that's the, <laughs> you, you would be 
nobody would uh, think you were mad for suggesting that Williams should probably be targeting the third podium position. Well, well, if you said to somebody, um, give me a guess at Spa, what the fastest looking car uh, in the last four or five laps of the races behind the Mercedes will be. You'd have said Williams, wouldn't you? You yeah. absolutely wouldn't have said the Red Bull. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but it, but it was, and and Red Bull looked faster than Williams all weekend. Um, you know, you wonder re- really where Danny Ricardo would have been in, in all of this um, a, a, as well. You know, Massa would probably have been seventh at best on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no reason why Ricardo couldn't have been. If you think that Vettel dropped out as well, so yeah, you know, eighth like, in really probably. You know, people have mechanical problems and whatever. That's always part of the game. But yeah, on pure pace, you're looking at just just creeping into the top eight. You know, I don't understand. I don't either. <laughs> it doesn't bode well for Monza, which is a pure, <laughs> well no, your straight line speed track. So, I I really don't know because. At Silverstone, man, but they looked like they had serious pace at Silverstone. Mm-hmm. That was oh, which only... isn't a which isn't the highest high speed track of it. You know, it's more it's a slightly more technical circuit, isn't it? It's not they, lowest they look, low downforce or anything. They leapfrogged the Mercs off the line, and we criticised their strategy for not attacking more because they looked like they had the pace to attack. We thought, oh look at that, the Williams have the the pace here, and they've bottled out attacking and the strategy. Whereas now it's like it doesn't matter what the strategy is because they've no pace. <laughs> and that's only a couple that's only what how many Grand Prix ago was Silverstone about two. three or something two or three two, so it? it's oh, no, uh, Hungary and then would it have been Silverstone was Silverstone the last one before Hungary no no it was Silverstone then Hungary wasn't it that's what I mean oh sorry yes yeah so, so two two races ago yeah yep Um. and they've just gone it's like when they were on their summer break, they've just not come back. <laughs> do you think that they've brought something new to the car that's not working? Or do you think they've not brought anything to the car and that's the problem? Because a lot of teams targeted I mean, Spa as somewhere to bring... They generally do, don't they? Silverstone and Spa. Because they've got, they the bring... big, they've got the big gap. So, yeah, you've got to assume people would bring... They'd be working on, working on stuff over the summer and they'd have stuff ready for Spa. So... Maybe, yeah, maybe Williams haven't developed the car. Because it looks like the Red Bull is certainly a bit more feisty. Yes. Uh, and the Lotus is obviously the good one. So, yeah, maybe they have... Accused of standing oh, still some, yeah. somewhat. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that is the case. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen down in seventh. Um, I can't remember. Did he... I don't really remember much of Kimi's race. No, I'm trying to remember why he was. Did, did he? He, he didn't qualify. Didn't well, qualify did he? well. Yeah, he had a problem in qualifying. He qualified like way down, like like fourteenth or fifteenth, something like that. Yeah. And I think they might have uh, taken a gearbox change or something because of that. And it, yeah, it was a recovery job to get points in the end. I think, which is why he started quite well. I seem to remember, and he made a yes, few places. Yes, he did. Up, made a few places up off the start line and then just drove his race and, and finished seventh, I think, just the natural sort of pace. Don't it's remember you... getting into major any major jewels or anything. Well, no, uh, both he and Massa, I think, had that kind of race, really. I, I, they finished 
close on the track, but I do you remember the shots of Massa passing anybody or Raikkonen passing anybody? And I don't. No, no, I don't. <laughs> so I'm just kind of thinking, well, I don't know, really. Um, is it, <laughs> having signed the contract that everybody thought would, you know, be like, oh, good, he's going to be nice and settled down there. Well, yeah, he's t- settled in driving a fairly average race. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand it. If Vettel has that kind of pace, I don't understand why Kimi doesn't. Oh, he was down. Maybe a little bit harsh to to say that because of obviously the qualifying. Like if he's qualified, no, but I would like seventeenth or something. But if Vettel was um, during the stints of the race that much closer to the Mercedes pace than most of the other cars, which is probably true and fair to say, then. You know, he was on for third, wasn't he, really, at the end of the day? Um, it seems to me that seventh is a fairly average return for a Ferrari, the second best car on the grid, even starting 14th or wherever he started. I just, It feels like he's done about half the number of places he needed to. Well, not maybe half, but do you know what I mean? A third of the number of places that he needed to, or two thirds, and there, I should so be. He started down in like seventeenth or something. So, where would you expect him to come on the Ferrari? I'd, on the I'd recovery still there? expect him to come maybe fifth or sixth. I think if the if the Williams have been as poor as they were, and um, I still think the Ferrari is faster than a Force India even at Spa. Yeah, he only finished two seconds behind Perez as well. But that. Uh, but that to me is that's kind of like, and 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 he was, you know, less than a second behind Massa. They were fighting right to the end. So, but then Max Verstappen was only a second behind Kimi. So that's that's the kind of thing I mean. Is that I can understand if there were big gaps. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in in his race from low down on the grid to higher up the grid, huge gaps have been strung out so that he was, you know. Um, you're saying that because he's got himself into that fight, he should be winning that fight with yeah. the four of them. You know, four um, four cars there are finished within a couple of seconds of each other. I would expect the Ferrari. So you to think get Ferrari because he's got into that fight, he should then be winning the fight. Mm-hmm. I yeah? think so. And I don't think that's necessarily a an unfair statement. I'm uh, glad you, I'm glad you worked out what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I was struggling no, really no, hard no, to, to, to put uh, it into words there. No. Yeah, I mean, because you look at it, you glance at the result and go, oh, Kimmy broke down in qualifying, so he started down at the back of the grid, and he's got up to seventh. Oh, that's a decent result. And then you maybe think no more of it. But I do get what you're saying, though. The fact that he'd gotten himself into a position where he was only a second behind fifth place. Yeah. I, and, I, and not capitalised on that. Yeah. What do you think? Does that suggest that he's maybe not motivated? or does he think I don't he's... know. I really don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know whether it means that, um, you know, Strategy-wise, Ferrari just off the boil, and he got to a point in the race where he couldn't do anything because of what they'd given him to do. Um, but it, in my mind, if he had been like eight seconds back, crossing the line between him and sixth, I'd have looked at him and gone, "Oh, he was miles back and having to catch up." Fair enough. Um, but we know for a fact that for a reasonable amount of laps, he was in, you know, that you know, a few seconds of the people in and around him. So 
like I yeah. say, it just feels like. Why is he not taking advantage of that? I yeah, get you, I know what you're saying. You know, maybe maybe if we'd been able to see more of his race, we'd have understood. But uh, it doesn't feel like a good result to me for Ferrari if they're as good as they want to make out there. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast, the home of F1 banter. Uh, I just see who's in ninth, and this is my favourite thing. This. I think this is my, I think this might be funnier than Maldonado's triple penalty. Well, let's Valtteri <laughs> Bottas. Let, let's. <laughs> um... This is. Uh, I did honestly didn't think Maldonado doing the Grand Slam would be, be topped, but yeah, within one race, the well, funniest let, thing that I've ever seen. Let's talk about Max Verstappen in eighth. Because, oh, I forgot. Um... Oh, sorry, I've just completely jumped Max. Yeah, I know. Too excited about Valtteri. Just completely jumped poor Max. Yeah. Uh, what 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 happened to what happened to Max's race? I think well, this is this is, I think Max Verstappen is on the course for having good race bad race um, syndrome. Uh, he has a good race and then he has a bad race. Uh, <laughs> Hungary wasn't a good race for him particularly. This was a very good race for him. Um, that little overtake move he did through Braunschweig, where he just decided, nope, I refuse to take my foot off of the accelerator yeah, pedal. Yeah, just floored it. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll see what you make of this, please. Uh, I can't no even remember. Fear, right? Absolutely no fear. I can't remember who he was overtaking, but it was just like, wow. Okay, fair enough. You know, it was uh, Fred Nazar that he overtook. <sighs> and I know. That's you know that's that's good. That he needs to do more of that where it's passing because he's made um, a ballsy move less of the passing where it looks like he's outbraked himself and it's gone well for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um because those kind of passes are what gets him in trouble when he has the crashes and when he does stupid things. It's because he's outbraked himself and it's not come off so he doesn't look good. If he makes more passes like this, then I start to believe the hype a little bit more. I start to go, okay, well, you know, that that isn't a move that everybody can pull off or that everybody would think anybody would think of doing necessarily. Um, there's another one that didn't qualify well so he's marked his way up from 15th or something on the grid to to, to, to a solid points finish so again like you say good good race you know if he's gone good race bad race this is this is the good one yeah he's made a he's made a few passes like said, that one that one particular pass and got the strategy right uh, and, and did, did everything that was required of him I mean, a little bit fortunate, but uh, you know, Vettel and uh, Bottas had their their traumas. But yeah, good good race, good race for Max. So then, Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> this is my favourite. I've I've I'm always so wondered. Excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered why this hasn't happened before. <laughs> I, 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 it's one of those things that has been in the back of my mind. Like, surely one day somebody's going to do this accidentally. <laughs> and yes, it was Williams. <sighs> Putting one wrong tire, wrong one <laughs> wrong compound. I, it was just. It was when he was running around with three yellows and one white. He just just looked ridiculous. <laughs> like, I can just imagine him looking out, seeing in his mirror. I don't, you probably, you won't, no way you'll be able to see the stripes, but like, just what was going on in that helmet when he was told what had happened? Like, did well, he fly on that wall? I, and, really, I really liked the fact that they said, um, 
we've we've got a penalty. Uh, we've got a drive-through. <laughs> Next up with a tyre. Uh, well, they didn't say. That's exactly what they did. They said, uh, there's a problem with the pit stop. That's all they said. Yeah. They didn't go, yeah, <laughs> we, we may have put on the wrong tyre, possibly. <laughs> the best bit about it was the guy who had the right tyre. Like standing for the the correct tire under his arm, watching Bottas leave the pit garage. Like he's moving, he ran out, <laughs> and then when idea. it's too late, isn't it? It's like watching right. the bus go. <laughs> yes, like, <when> you... <laughs> that's exactly it. He just he was just like, oh, they appear to have found a tire and put it on. Well, I guess they don't need this then. <laughs> I'm just gonna go back into the. Uh... <laughs> oh, it was but so the... funny. <laughs> Who? Who's to blame there then? Honestly, it... I have no idea. Somebody's to blame. Like... I mean, is because it shouldn't be possible, should it? Because surely they put all four of the tires all on the same rack. So yeah, you would think they were just all beside each other. You know? Is it a case that a white stripe got put in a yellow stripe jacket, so they just pulled it out and put it on? Did the right tire guy think it was hard, and everybody else got told it was <laughs> softs? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who ran out with the tire was the only person that knew where the right tire was compared to the other one or, or what i don't know i'm uh, kind uh, of looking at it and thinking because we never got to see the blanket i think it's i think it's that somebody thought it was hard tires and it wasn't i don't think it was that it was in the wrong blanket i think they just got the wrong tire yeah um, and the poor wheel guy doesn't probably doesn't know they probably don't tell the guy who's putting on the wheel we're going we're they going... put those wheels on in literally one second. <laughs> They've so got no time to look at it, are they? They don't they... even see what colour it is. No. It's, on, it's literally this. The whole stops like two and a half seconds. So you know, like they they they're not they can't see the colour. They're just on and off without even thinking about it. I mean, they barely have time to to put the wheel on, let alone do anything else. Because the number of times cars go off with wonky wheels on. Yeah, do you know exactly. What I mean? <laughs> It's just so, just watching them run round. Like. I loved uh, my favorite part was that the the commentators sat there and they were like, "We've no idea what the penalty is for this. <laughs> we know it's wrong and that something has to happen, but but what is it?" Because <laughs> because Brundle was right. It's no like pre- precedent for it. Like if he's not gaining an advantage, really, and it probably was a disadvantage, really, because um, uh, it wasn't like he had both harder tires on the back or on the front where it would have made some difference. If one tire is not going to make that much difference. Um, but if you do a five second stop go and change all the tires doesn't necessarily you know unless you say they have to do it that would have been the only way, way that was they said you must take this stop now you can't wait until your pit window you have to come in now and change the tires and you get a five or a ten second stop go penalty then you know I, I think the drive through penalty works but then there was the point where the ludicrous point at the outside of it where they went well he served his penalty now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Does he just... actually have to change the tyres? <laughs> and the answer was no. So, <laughs> if you were <laughs> if you were really down on stuff and finding that you had rear tyre grain and you thought you could get away with losing 16 seconds but it would make you more time in the race. Yeah. you could. It would be worth doing. Do it, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that myself, yeah. You could stick on two a pair of hards on the back tyres and put softs on the fronts. And if the lap time for a twenty second uh, for a twenty lap stint is up, up more than a second a lap or whatever, you'd you'd come out ahead. You'd come out in positive time. <laughs> bizarre, absolutely bizarre. <laughs> I want to see go. somebody try it, like just like like a sober or something, just going for it. 
some yeah. uh, some yeah, well, pet, if you, pet lane. If we put rear bias back and put hard tyres on the back, then the front tyres will stay nice and grippy without too much low going through them. But their rear tyres won't grain up from the extra wheel spin and bits and pieces. This could work, lads. This could work. <laughs> Some maverick of a team just being like, let's try it and see if it would come out ahead. <laughs> it's the kind of thing Sergio Perez would have tried in his sour days or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, it was so funny. I got laughed for ages. <laughs> it was a highlight of my race for me. And poor Bottas in the end, because of all these tribulations, ended up down in ninth, where he probably would have finished ahead of uh, of Massa. And, probably, uh, well, and Perez, because Perez was only a second ahead of Massa. So probably, he probably would have finished fifth. Uh, you would assume he was seven seconds behind Perez in fifth. Yeah, I suppose if you say, well, we take sixteen seconds off of his time, that's where he should have been. Yeah, and the, yeah. Well, if, if you if you do that maths, he comes out just about at Fiat roughly. So yeah, and I think I think Fiat probably would have taken him. Would have been dueling with uh, with with young Danny. Yeah, so fifth place probably. So that's a uh, that's a real loss. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. F1 for fans by fans. Uh, so we round up point scoring with Marcus, Marcus Ericsson. outdoing his teammate. Yeah, for the first time in a long time, really. <laughs> um, but I mean, you can kind of see in the times really. You can see that NASA obviously didn't have a, a great race to end up ten seconds behind, eleven seconds behind his teammate. Um, so I, I think that one when they go finish like that line you know in order or two of the same car and they're and the time difference isn't short then you have to look at and go somebody's had a bad race there because there's no way you end up you know tip that many you know they qualified within a couple of places of each other so there's no there's no real reason for there to be a big time difference other than and nasa i think ended up um at various points, having to fight the the McLarens when the McLarens were on hard tyres, and I think Ericsson might well have just missed out on all of those, kind of fairly luckily, because um, I remember Alonso passing Nasa, only for Nasa to <laughs> overtake him a couple of laps later. Um, so I guess that probably explains that. Uh, Ericsson needs that because he's really being fairly comprehensively outshone by his teammate. Um, yeah, massively. And, and as the man with Formula One experience versus the GP2 rookie, you can't really allow that to continue. So, if you I, were to say which one jinx a rookie, you'd think Ericsson was a rookie. Yeah, watching them, you know, watching yeah. the races, watching the way they handle themselves. He doesn't. He just has never looked comfortable in a Formula One car. I, I don't really know why the team persist even with his money, um, because he doesn't look like he's got speed in the car. Nasa has at at times looked very quick, even in a fairly poor. Sauber, Sauber car um, or average Sauber car I guess it's not the worst one they've ever produced but um, you know he, he's looked pacey and racy and Ericsson has not ever really looked pacey to me uh, yeah I agree with that um, so while that jumps is 10th and 11th poor Sebastian one lap from what was it three and a half miles from the mm. end and bang goes a tyre that to be fair had done about 40 laps or something so uh, this sparked a right old debate, though. This is probably the biggest talking point coming out of the race. Yeah. Uh, what do you? What did you make of that? Because uh, Vettel's tire went, having done a mega stint. I am falling on the side of Pirelli because I think 
I tend to think that teams like to say things like, well, we told we were told it should do this. We don't think this is our fault. This is the tyres' fault. How dare they? Tyres are dangerous. Do something about it. Blah, blah, blah. Because it suits them. Um, you know, it would certainly suit them if the, tire, the harder tyres, you know, had full race distance in them or whatever, and they didn't have to worry about them. Uh, but that's not what Pirelli were told to do. And Pirelli came out and said, well, two years ago, we told people that, you know, 50% race distance on hard tyres, 30% race distance on on soft, you know, that's that's what we told you was going on. Uh, you know, we said the hard tyres here wouldn't do more than um, 30 odd laps and these did 38. And I think, um, I think the driver has to take some responsibility on this because um, Vettel was not adhering to the track limits very much this race um the corner he went over just before it gave way he never had that back right tire on the tarmac the whole race he cut it all the time and, and like the one the one the the bit down the where he came out on the right side and he cuts over to the uh the left and was running through the gravel constantly like mm-hmm. he was doing it all race weekend and i'm just thinking you know, all right, you can probably get away with that once or twice, can't you? But if you're consistently doing it, you're running over those sore edge curves. Um, the um, somebody on Twitter showed actually that the uh, the warp of the tires, the back tires, coming up au rouge. So they're clearly not, you know, they're not running them at these. You know, I know they run them at, uh, they don't run them at peak pressure or anything like that, but. You know, they, they're they allowing the tyres to be soft and warp back and forwards as they put load through them. I kind of don't see how they can realistically sit there and go, oh, I can't believe that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, yeah. <laughs> it just feels really disingenuous. I think what they should have said is, well, from our understanding, we thought the tyres could do this. Obviously, they can't. We'll know that better for next time. I've kind of gone, all right, okay, well, they tried something. It didn't work out. But it was the, it was Vettel's, you know, four-letter tirade, Arriva Bene coming out and saying, well, no, we've definitely not done anything wrong. It's definitely the tyres. And poor Paul Hembury having to come out and go, no, no, uh, <laughs> really, it's not the tyres. The tyres are doing what we, to- we were told that they had to do. And the teams are ignoring that we told them that there is a limited life on them and that when they go, they have a tendency to go. <laughs> what do you want us to do? And I'm, that's why I, 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 I'm kind of with Pirelli on this one. I think there's not much that Ferrari can really say. And, you know, Vettel himself said we should think about, you know, we should consider yeah, he wanted stop. To stop. He wanted to stop earlier on in the race when, you know, when the window was still there and they chose not to. And then I think by that point they were committed to it, so they couldn't yeah. have done anything else. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so they I'm just they I'm went. Well, on... let's see. Let's see how it all rolls. Let's see if they last to the end of the race or not. Kind of on the same sort of side as you. They tried something. They tried something that was clearly a risk. No, you know, people were a lot of people three stopped this race. Yeah. Uh, and they tried to one stop it, so it was clearly unconventional. It didn't work out, and like when Raikkonen and. And the McLaren all those years ago, uh, although that was when they had the, was that when they had to do the whole race on the one set of tyres, actually? That might have been that one season, now that I think of it. But the point is, they tried something different, it didn't work. Uh, it went wrong, and it's cost them the points. And kind of like, yeah, 
come out if it was me i'd be saying after this yeah we tried something it didn't work out you know hold your hands up kind of yeah thing. and they came out and it was everybody else's fault like you say they blamed everybody but themselves kind of and, and that yeah I'm, I'm pretty much on your side with that one <laughs> um can we not talk about the next two? Oh, God. There's a brilliant quote. <laughs> I just seen it when I was flicking through the uh, the BBC coverage of the uh, of the race. There's a button a button quote somewhere from Team Radio, which is brilliant. <laughs> uh, something about batteries. <laughs> Did you see that? No. What was going? It's a button is on the Team Radio. Team Radio. Sounds like someone forgot to connect the batteries, reports Jensen Button, who's, oh, yeah. who's currently 15th. <laughs> well, he had, he had power unit stuff, didn't he, from the, from the start, of the, start of the race, so he, that's why he was so far behind Fernando. But, it, um, but that's <laughs> that, the thing was, is that we're listening to them, is that, that doesn't sound like that's completely unfeasible. It is couplings <laughs> linking the batteries, so if they're not on tight, there is an entire possibility that they can shake themselves loose. It's retarded, absolutely, but you know, I guess it really could have happened. It's just, yeah, it's just not good, is it? <laughs> uh, the only shining light for me is that um, both the drivers complimented the handling of the car in qualifying, even though it didn't have the pace. You know, Jensen was saying it felt like my qualifying lap from you know when he won at Spa. Um, so it's engine. It is the engine. That's all we. That's all we can pretty much say is that, you know, we think that the car is probably as tuned as as good as they can work out that it, it, it can be, you know, with the engine in the state it is. It, it, get the engine working. I think there's probably quite a large jump to be made. Do you know what I mean? And this was always going to be the bad track. They knew this. Monza's going to be another terrible track for them. Um, and then they'll arrive in Singapore where, you know, Points in Monaco, no reason why they can't get points in Singapore. No, absolutely. Or most of the other flyaway races, to be fair. Um, my, my, you know, my worries is that, you know, I was asked on, on somewhere else what whether the season is um, better or worse than I, I thought. And it's clearly worse. There's no way in any way, shape or form you can say it. But it, it's been worse for longer than I thought it would be. I thought we would have this, you know, until midpoint, by which point the team would have stabilised. Honda would have been able to have worked out the kicks <laughs> in the engine. <laughs> Sean throws himself off a building, although it sounded, it probably was a sneeze. It did sound like you were jumping out a, a window. I was, I was trying to get to the mute mic button. <laughs> I, I couldn't hold it any longer. All it sounded like was this was... <laughs> and I thought, oh my god, <laughs> he's killed himself. I was Dear god. about to hit the mute mic button and it just went <laughs> <laughs> like Sebastian Vettel's tyre. It just, I it couldn't just hold went. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. Sorry. Uh, uh. Carry on about McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think I would have expected Honda to have worked out the base kinks and have gotten it on an, at least a sort of average of you know not as good as the ferrari or mercedes when you're being battered by renault there's a lot of trouble yeah in the department <laughs> I, I think that's the thing is that i look at the red bull renault working well at spa and the honda working terribly at spa and i go well what <laughs> what because what we are know we how doing bad here, the renault folks? is like in comparison to the mercedes and to an extent the ferrari but particularly the mercedes 
and the Renaults made, and the the Hondas made the Renault look like the Mercedes, you know, and that. So there's a bit, there's a big jump to even get to the worst of the other engines. That's what's a little bit, yeah. You know, that's concerning that's that's where i'm like well when are we going to get the big step forward from honda when are honda going to step up and do it and you know at at this point now i'm writing off the second half of 2015 completely yeah. i mean you, like you say you might pick up some points at singapore because that's the type of track that these issues will be negated but yeah but then they're going to go to brazil and it's going to be horrific yeah, you know, there's... in general, yeah. I mean, if you pick Imagine... up a couple of points, you'd be fine. You know, it's all about next season. And know? Austin as well. You think about the hills in um, San Paolo and, um, mm-hmm. oh, and Austin. Absolutely. Proper, look... proper undulating tracks. Those... They'll look ridiculous. They'll be just hor- horrific again. <laughs> if Felipe, they don't Massa, Felipe Massa will beat you in his, in his go-karts around into Lagos. <laughs> it's probably entirely true, unfortunately, at the moment. So that's, that's my worry for McLaren, is really that I don't see... Uh, because they haven't done the step forward now, it looked like they were going somewhere, didn't it? It looked like, okay, right, they're, they're fairly comfortably in front of the Saubers now, chasing down the Lotus and the Force Indias. That's good. This is the the step-by-step progression we expect to see from a team of McLaren stature and Honda as a, you know, a well-versed uh, engine manufacturer. Okay, they they had dodgy, dodgy days as um, a Formula One team occasionally, but that's the whole car. Do you know what I mean? They, they yeah. built dog cars. It's, it's a bit different than saying, well, if you've only got to do the engine part of it, the rest of it is down to somebody else. You know, they've made good engines. That's not, uh, you know, it's not an unfeasible thing for them to make the good engine bit and allow somebody else to build the rest of the car better. They've made that. world championship winning engines in the past. Well, absolutely. So. You know, Honda McLaren is a, you know, is a legendary partnership, realistically. Um, but that was petrol engines and V12s and God knows well, what else. This is a, limited, it's a limited different ball tech, game isn't now, isn't it? So... There's only so much you can change on any one of those kind of configurations, really, isn't it? It's bore sizes and um, you know construction of materials and stuff. Uh, certain amounts of the layout of the exhaust, maybe, and stuff. And with these, there's you know a million and one different configurations for each individual part to get right. And uh, it doesn't look like they've got any of them right at the moment. From from that showing, it, it seems that. Stuff. They are exactly the where they were so. at the start. Well, it's the only saving grace, really, isn't it? That there's two really awful cars. If Manor hadn't made it onto the grid this season with all their financial troubles, McLaren would have been pretty much last, you know, yes. 90% of the time, which is depressing. It's incredibly <laughs> depressing. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. You know, it, it, it affects my enjoyment of the race because I know that if they have a bad qualifying, I know they're going to have a bad race. So you then have have nothing as a fan of that team to be interested in. And that's when I'm desperate to see better racing up and down the grid, you know, and we only got it in sporadic parts this race. So that's, mm-hmm. that's why there's cause to criticise Formula One. Um, it, it's one thing to be a fan and be interested in. And if you're a Mercedes fan and you're really enjoying Formula One at the moment because Mercedes are winning, I can completely understand that. Um, you don't have to agree that the racing is crap, or not crap, but not very good, not very interesting for everybody. But you do have to understand that you are a minority in that, you know, in that scenario. 
your love of the team overrides your need to see good racing up and down the gr- uh, up and down the grid. I don't think it's the love of the team, is it? <laughs> well, or the love of a particular a driver, driver generally. Yeah. But but still, either way, you know, let's not you know, let's not be too dismissive of everybody as <laughs> baseless, clueless Lewis Hamilton fans or anything like that. Although there are plenty out there, um, you know, it. We would be happy if it was our teams, if it was Ferrari doing it or McLaren yeah. doing it. We would be happy that they were winning, and the races would hold some interest for us. Um, I, I think that doesn't. In both cases, they are points of view, and you have to understand where both sides of the of the coin is coming from. Really, um, just because we're unhappy that Mercedes are winning, not because they're Mercedes, but because of the style that it is, doesn't make our points, you know, less valid. Equally. Um, we should be mindful that you know a team doing its best is good for those fans uh, and you know or fans of a driver if they are in that team there are two sides to the to the coin of saying you know racing is x therefore it is a good or b bad you know um, they are perfectly possible to be both things at the same time unfortunately um, which makes finding solutions for everything pretty difficult <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of yeah. pretty difficult, <laughs> life in a Mauritia. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's like what what what's the what, what's the what's the long term? Yes, future. They're, it's like they're they're existing, but they're not living, kind of thing. They are. So they're like in a, a vegetative. That's exactly what I was going to Comatosed, really. And, and like, what's? Yeah, we can keep ticking over race by race and doing the absolute bare minimum to survive, but. What's the point? Yeah. Know? And what are they going to do if Haas come along next season and are miles better than them? Which I think they probably will be, to be honest. Then somebody's got to come along at Marussia and say, we need the kind of partnership that um, Haas have with Ferrari. We need to be speaking to McLaren or Mercedes or Williams or somebody and be uh, and accept that you know, as much as we want to design our own car and do all these bits and pieces, the only way that we're going to catch up with anybody is to take good tech from teams and put it in our car as much as possible. And, you know, if that means that we become a bit of a customer team for a few seasons, so be it. But the long-term benefits of <laughs> not being four seconds off the pace or whatever <laughs> ridiculous margin it is for most of them in the races surely has to outweigh the pride of of doing it, which is, you know, why I'm not against customer cars in in essence, so long as they're fairly, you know, there is a limit on what they can buy. Because it, it's sad that Mauricio put in all of this time, and I have got a real soft spot for the for any of the back market teams. Always have, you know. I had a spot soft spot for Caterham, and bless HRT for <laughs> its awfulness. You know, I had a soft spot for Minardi and all of those teams that bumble around the back end of the grid but they try hard and they put in as much effort as a top team um and it wasn't so bad when there were 20 you know 20 teams on the grid or whatever and there were five back market teams that you were you know could you know if it was Sauber and Minardi and um, I say that you used to have two at least two back market teams fighting with each other to not be the rubbishest back marker now it's just manner thundering around on their own it's much more depressing yes 
you know, if you had a man, a man and a Minardi, for example, at least you know, oh, who's going to be the best of the two crap teams today? But yes, and in fact, it, that was exactly true of when it was Caterham and Mauritius. They, yeah. they were two teams vying to outdo each other on the on the smallest budgets, but and that that gave it some kind of interest. Just to having the one team, it's just now there is no interest. You know, there is no real reason to care about Mauritius beyond Jules Bianchi and a bit of a soft spot for the underdog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even even the inter team battle was not that interesting. And Mary got the better of Will Stevens this weekend here in Spa. But in general, I think Stevens has kind of had his number. Well, yeah. it generally seems to have been that way. But because we don't know anything about what's going on with them, you don't know, do you? <laughs> you don't know if Will Stevens had been given three or four races of upgrades, and now Mary's getting the upgrades first to try and even thing out. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's just. There is no Formula One isn't giving us a reason to care about Mauritius, and that's sad, um, because Formula One can make bad teams fun or worthwhile being interested in. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, Minardi for all of you know their woes, and even teams like Footwork and Arrows, and um... it's all about you know, yeah, like. You can care about bad teams. It's entirely possible to be a fan of a team that doesn't do very well if you want to be invested in them. But Formula One doesn't give us any reason to be invested in these teams at the moment. And that's that's a problem, I think, in general. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's go through this. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's start with the first one. Poor old Nico Hülkenberg. Didn't um, get off the line. Well, couldn't, even, couldn't get to his grid slot was the... Was the worst thing to pulled up short of where he was supposed to stop. That's pretty depressing, really, especially when you consider how well Sergio Perez did. Um, uh, so he, you know he might have well have gotten some points this time around. It's hard to hard to think that he wouldn't have been in the points for sure. I think probably, but hey ho. Yep. Pass the Maldonado. <laughs> Finish the race? No. No. <laughs> One lap. Um, <laughs> At least it wasn't really his fault this time. No. <laughs> like, Although I, his I crash. It. His crash in um, pra- in first practice um, it was just... <laughs> it's brilliant, eh? <laughs> Sorry, I crash. <laughs> it's just like, we know, Pasta. <laughs> we know. Don't... It was a brilliant line I get on the BBC feed where it's like, meanwhile, something has gone wrong for Pasta Maldonado. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Is it that he's Pasta Maldonado by yeah. any chance? Um, I... <laughs> At this point, I hope he stays in F1. Oh, forever. Because For the rest of time. <laughs> because it would be interminably dull without him. It would just... <laughs> it's worth waiting just to see what's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I when, he fl- when he flicked um, Gutierrez over and stuff like that. And it's just <laughs> like... There's only one man that this could, who could do that kind of thing, and it is Pastor Maldonado. It was when he was in the Williams, and they claimed that they were sabotaging his car. <laughs> <laughs> We yes, should do, we should do an hour tribute, like to pass him out of all of his best bets. Anyway, oh dear. Who else uh, didn't finish? Ricardo. Ricardo. problems. That was it? a really weird one, wasn't it? Because it looked like he he had to slam on the brakes, um, and that turned his car off pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, he just lost all power, didn't he? Pretty Dan, much. it's uh, Dana's electronics um, for me. Although uh, Brundle said he thought it was hydraulics, um, given that he didn't seem to have any throttle or stuff. But I. Wonder if the ECU just shut off and didn't let him do anything. Just the whole system just went, nope, blue screen of death, 
you <laughs> you're not allowed to drive this car anymore. Yeah, he kind of outbraked himself a little bit into the bus stop, didn't he? But he, he, got he a little bit he, hot. He'd overtaken, and then there was a Force India pitting who was going slightly slower. So it's a really slam on the anchors, and then that obviously did something to the car that made it go. Nope. <laughs> Computer says no. Um, and Carlos Sainz retired on lap thirty-two with a power unit failure. Um, so that's two Renault retirements, I guess. Um, but then you know, there's two Mercedes retirements as well. So I don't know. Uh, whatever you can make out of those kind of things. And both know. Hondas finished the race, so. Yeah. Reliability, there. That's something. Speed, not no. so much. Uh, that's probably. It's can't think of anything else. Yeah. Um. So on that basis, let's have a look at what's going on in the Formula One news. The final lap podcast news. So, the biggest news, I guess, is that Renault looked to be buying out Lotus uh, and returning to Formula 1 as a uh, full works team. Um, now that, like, I mean, how, it's only been about, what, three, three, four years since they gave up? So. Well, the Lotus team are the old Renault team, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's only about three years ago, I think. So, I mean, it's probably for the best from a financial point, standpoint. Uh, the worrying thing I would say is, does that mean they have to put the Renault engine back in? Because <laughs> they've got the Mercedes engine, and it's clearly the better engine at the moment. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Kvyat like, did a right in it, I guess. Um, I don't know. Uh, I feel like that time when uh, there was a BMW Ferrari for a while. Do you remember that <laughs> anomaly? Because the stupid the way the teams were named, they were Sauber BMW Ferrari. How can it be oh, a BMW yeah. and a Ferrari? Yeah, like. <laughs> That's that's it, you know. And if they take over as Renault, does that will that come into effect immediately, or is it next season, or what? What happens with that kind of thing? Well, I don't know. I, I assume it probably happens immediately. I guess um, whenever they do, they will become Renault. Um, although they won't be able to change the name in the championship, will they? Um, the interesting thing is, is obviously that um, to get your winnings and stuff like that, there, I think there has to be some kind of. Um, there has to be some follow-on, doesn't there? I don't know. Anyway, um, I, I, I think it's generally good for Lotus because um, presumably they will probably keep on all of the staff who are pretty much there. Um, they may get rid of Lopez, possibly, and bring in somebody else. But um, I think the team seems to be... that'll probably be for the best. Well, see, that's what I'd originally thought, but well, he's not done a too... Well, financially, they obviously haven't done anything better, but you don't know how much of a hole they were in to begin with. So whether he could have done anything beforehand, I don't know. Um, I think really at the end of the day, it's probably for the best all around. Um, the interesting thing, of course, is what that does to the relationship between Renault and Red Bull, um, who were the inverted commas works pairing. Yeah, um, true. true. All the stories are that, you know, Red Bull are desperate to um, jump jump to Mercedes and Mercedes are now apparently fairly um fairly warm on that or at least lukewarm on that concept you know they're not um saying no which is, is certainly um what we um what we expected I guess um interestingly um 
the report anyway claims that they would have a budget that would uh, rival Mercedes and Red Bull. So if that's the case, then let's see it. No excuses next season. No, there isn't really. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I think the, the thing you've got to look at it there is, is that um, the problem with Renault Red Bull is it's an engine manufacturer completely under the thumb of the car designers. And at the end of the day, um, even if the engine is bad, uh, there's still a car that's got to be built around it and all the other bits and pieces. It's a bit of a lose-lose situation when it's as high-profile as it is now. Um, so probably for Renault, in terms of what they get out of Formula One, and it's always a bit of a loss leader, I guess, the extra money of running a team maybe is better for them them than having a high-profile link-up with a specific team. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, if they can get it right in a Renault car, then I guess they've got more understanding of how they can sell to customers and the other bits and pieces. Building an engine for a Red Bull with the way that the Red Bull has been under Adrian Newey's design must be quite a difficult process, I would have thought. I can't imagine that they're easy chassis to, you know, work with him with the way he likes to package. So... I don't know. It, it seems like it seems like that should be good for everybody, really, doesn't it? Yep. Interestingly, Alan Prost will have ten percent stake in the team. Uh-huh. Did, you, did you read that bit? No, I didn't. Alan That's... Prost will have ten percent in the team uh, if the deal concludes. So should bring it back as Ligier. I think that's the that really interesting. Obviously, he's got a son who like he's a driver. Oh Just... God. Just he's, saying. He's not a very good driver. That's the, this <laughs> so is the problem. Nico Prost is... shoehorn him into the car, maybe. Yeah. Oh. Nicholas Prost is, was not the greatest driver in Formula E last season. He made a lot of stupid mistakes and crashed into, into Nick Heidfeld more than once. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, and Jared Lopez will keep 25%. Oh, so he probably will stay on then on that basis, so I guess. Renault will have the major share and then Jared Lopez has 25% and Alan Prost is apparently having 10%, which is interesting to have. It's interesting that they're bringing in Prost, you know, as a well, I guess, Formula One man kind of thing. I wonder if they've looked at um, the PR that Nicky Lauda produces for Mercedes as a... Yeah, maybe a similar role, ex- yeah. A non-executive board member, isn't he, or in some random way. He's Prost, didn't exa- Prost didn't exactly cover himself in glory running his own team, so... Well... He lost but, all his lost all his money. So. Well, he did, but he he did buy Ligier, so I, can't, I don't know what he was really expecting particularly. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I, well, yeah. a, a non-executive role might be just you know perfect for. for yeah, everybody. I mean he's a min- he would be a minority controlling thing in it anyway. So you know, I guess at the end of the day, he gets to wander around being a spokesperson for for Renault French. No, being yeah. just French, being Alan Prost, you know. Yep. That's like that's the match made in heaven, really. So, uh, other news. Um, I'm not really sure where this has come from, really. Um, Sebastian Vettel uh, is not worried about having a number one status at Ferrari. Well, of certainly not going to be worried. He's... Kimi Raikkonen is his teammate. Is he? I was just going to say he's clearly not worried because he's clearly got it. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? They've just not had to impose it as yet. I think is the is the whole thing. Um, yeah, should should they actually sign somebody like Valtteri Bottas or Danny Ricciardo, um, then I think it would be interesting. Um, 
Uh, at the moment, yeah, I'm sure he's not worried about it. Um, he's massively far ahead in the championship in comparison. So, um, yeah, uh, why worry about it, I guess, is the... Yeah. Uh, it, seems, it seems like he's answering a question that nobody was really asking. Yes, that's exactly it. Well, which means somebody asked him the question that nobody was asking, which I guess makes the journalist the stupidest person out of all of them. Um, but there you go. Um, Kevin Magnuson, um is adamant he's going to race next season. For McLaren or for anybody else, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Haas having not confirmed a lineup as yet. Yeah. Um, interesting that they're the Ferrari sort of link up though. Ferrari want a McLaren, uh, you know, academy guy going in there. They might want they'll maybe try and shoehorn their own guys in there. So that's what you would have to assume. Uh, yeah, I guess, um, but it depends. It depends really on whether they really have that kind of, um, you know, maybe they've got a, um, maybe they've got a seat they have. They're they're thinking of giving up for a Ferrari, but then they've got to get somebody else in. And K Mag did a good job in his in his season with absolutely with McLaren. Yeah. Um, he didn't look overawed, um, and he wasn't. You know, I don't think he was as full of mistakes as say. Um, Verstappen has been or Kvyat was do you know what I mean I think he came in and was a much more mature racer uh, I agree yeah I agree with that than the others but I mean he should be he should be on people's radar shouldn't he really Um, and the weird thing is is that you'd have thought by now he'd have probably ended up in a Force India or something like that I was just about to say that like if he's not going to be in the McLaren He's just got forced India written all over them, doesn't he? Kind it of really, sh- well, he really should. It's a good, solid midfield team. But they've got this obsession with paying Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez to be, you know, in the cars. And I bet you McLaren would probably, you know, happily pay something towards him being in a Force India. So financially, it would probably be better for them. But I mean, I don't know. Um, It'd be quite funny to see Sergio Perez booted out the Force India for oh, Kevin Magnussen. That would just... be horrendous. <laughs> that would just be like, you know what? I hate Kevin Magnussen, says Sergio Perez in <laughs> Twitter outburst. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, he seems fairly confident about it, so I don't know whether he's had tap-ups from other teams about it. But I mean, the only team that he's not got any real worth in going to is Mauritius. Um He's, they're not going to get a drive in the Sauber because he's not giving any money to the team and they've already signed for the next year. Um, so, could be a Renault seat, I guess, um, if they dump Maldonado because uh, presumably they'll stick with Grosjean for the French connection, even if he is Swiss. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Grosjean, Grosjean isn't going anywhere, especially after his good performance this weekend and if the car continues to have the pace and he keeps going for the rest of the season, then yeah, Grosjean's the man in that team now. He's 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 leading that team. It's just like like you say, it's whether whether Pastor goes or not. And honestly, I, I just I hope he doesn't. Like I really hope he doesn't. But yeah, um, the only thing is Pastor Maldonado would be better in Mauritius because Mauritius could make you more use of that thirty million sponsorship deal yeah. than probably uh, Force India can, um, and. <laughs> he'd be going so much slower he probably can't cause as much chaos can he really I, I would have thought anyway um, well, he'll, so, try. he'll find a way <laughs> he will find a way <laughs> um, nothing is foolproof to the talented fool as uh, I've been wont to say um, oh here was something from about Pastor Maldonado 
Uh, Mad Ronaldo's curb impact was 17G. Yeah, um, I've seen that. I've seen that. That's some amount of G's. How, <laughs> Pastor Mada, how I broke my car. <laughs> that is, which is why his E23 lost power. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of G right it's now. It's a hefty whack, isn't it? But it just goes to show, really, of <laughs> lunatic he is. <laughs> back out, Pastor. Just back out of it. Don't know. Okay, you've broken the car. Okay, fine. There you go. Uh, other news. Uh, Danica Patrick has said she has no desire to race in F1, which to me is a bit of a misnomer because, as far as I'm aware, nobody has been desperate to sign her either. Um, but I can understand completely why she doesn't. If you hear the reports that um, uh, Susie Wolf is thinking about retiring from Formula One because nobody will give her a goddamn chance. She's never going to get a drive. Well, she's we're not going to drive for the Williams. And they have clearly made that clear when they wouldn't announce her as the original driver for yeah. Bottas when he had his back injury. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They would rather ship somebody else in to cover it, potentially, than let Susie Wolf drive a car. I don't know why at that point you immediately wouldn't have gone, I need to be in another team. I don't, you know, I don't care whether my husband has a stake in this team or not, you know. Let me speak to Marussia and see if I can drive around in the Marussia at the back of the grid because that's got to be better than testing three times. You know, I'm not going to score any points in the Marussia, but doesn't does that even really matter at this point? You know, I, I need to be on track doing something, at least racing one other person on the circuit in my teammate. Yeah, if she does that well, then you might get an opportunity elsewhere. But I mean, like. <laughs> Like you say, Williams have since appointed Adrian Sutil as their backup driver. Does that yeah. not tell its own story? Well, exactly. The charismatic, less vacuum that is Adrian Sutil <laughs> is still considered a more exciting option than Susie Wolf. You know, feel bad for her, but I don't think she's probably not quick enough at the end of the day. I don't. She never blew me away in her limited practice test or and I know it's only practice but it's a difficult one yeah because you you don't want to you know if you you put her in the car and she's not very good you say oh they're only putting her in the car because she's a woman you don't put her in a car they say oh you're only not putting her in a car because she's a woman like it's Williams are in a difficult position there yeah yeah well they absolutely are but then at the end of the day don't sign her if you've got no intention. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, from everything that she says, she is expected to get a drive. Um, and she's not getting it. So why shouldn't she feel aggrieved? And I think quite rightly so in this case. Um, last thing in the news, and it's the sad thing, unfortunately, but I wanted to leave it till last to, so that we could kind of give it the respect that it deserves. And it's obviously the sad passing of Justin Wilson um, in the... Uh, the other weekend um i haven't brought myself to watch the crash i don't really generally don't try to watch those things um it's led to a lot of debate about close cockpits and bits and pieces and i think that's a discussion for another time but it's really sad to see somebody like justin wilson who throughout his career was fairly denied the chance to drive in top cars because <laughs> he was so tall six foot three it's um, very tall isn't it uh, but in every car he drove you know he drove the wheels off of it and was clearly you know clearly could have done something really spectacular given the, given the chance um, so just you know it's been a real sad time for for motorsport in general 
um, these last few months. There's just been too much of this stuff going on, and whatever the answer is, it doesn't take away from the fact that motorsport is dangerous, um, beautiful and dangerous, uh, and that does occasionally mean that sometimes we have sad news stories like this. So uh, from the Last Lap podcast to uh, Justin Wilson's family and uh, all of his fans, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace, Justin. Absolutely. I think that takes us to the end of the podcast. Um, so let's uh, wrap things up with all the usual spiel. Um, <laughs> if you want to find us on the interweb, uh, it's www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. This is where you'll find all of the episodes stored for all eternity for your listening pleasure, uh, as well as occasional articles uh, that we may or may not write occasional uh, we'll have to say at the moment we're trying very hard to put more stuff on there but uh, time is a factor um and that was actually something i wanted to bring up uh if you are an aspiring formula one writer of any kind whether that's uh, amateur semi-professional whatever uh, and you're looking for somewhere where you can publish your thoughts on formula one um we'd love to hear from you because we'd be quite happy to have your articles published uh on the last lap podcast website um if you want to get in touch, just email um, admin at modernfanatical.co.uk. Um, I'll get a better address at some point in the future for <laughs> all of these. But yeah, it's the one from the old website, I'm afraid, because uh, that's what the, ed- the uh, email address is. So that's admin at modernfanatical.co.uk. Uh, and just email uh, a sample article to us. Um, we'll take a look and get in contact and see if we can start publishing and working with you. Um, so that's something that we're hoping to do in future. Uh, in the meantime, if you're wanting to just digest the podcast in general, uh, you can catch us on iTunes or TuneIn. We know we've got several followers on TuneIn now, so that's uh, become a very nice platform for us. Um, just search for us on all of those various things, uh, and you can subscribe or uh, follow us. Um, it would be very nice, if you can, whilst you're there, uh, to leave us a little rating and review. Uh, all of these little things help us get out to an even wider audience, and it's very much appreciated if you could take the five or so minutes to you know leave a little review on iTunes, or leave a little uh, review on uh, TuneIn that will help us tremendously Uh, and we also have uh, social media accounts of course Uh, Facebook just search for The Last Lap Podcast and you can find us there and like us join us uh, about um, I can't remember over 117 I think last time I checked likes on the page so there's a fair fair few people out there to to see what we post we tend to actually post and repost quite a lot of stuff on Facebook so it's a good place to come and um, uh, catch content with us from us uh, as well as you obviously post all the episode links up there uh, and you can follow us on twitter at lap last lap podcast sorry um where we post all the episode links and occasionally uh retweet some of the uh, funnier and lighter things that we see uh, online uh regarding formula one and whatever um, and if you're desperate to see what sean and i think about anything <laughs> other than formula one you can actually follow us at our own personal twitter handles i am at man called megs Yep, and I am at Firebolt Willow. And on that note, thank you very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers.